1: again by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center! Perry! Score! Corey Perry! Lillian oh, able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani!
2: Hey Ducks fans! It's the Forever Mighty post-game show. Ducks versus the Panthers. Ducks come away with a three-to-two victory, thanks to a lot of heroics by the goalpost. I am your host tonight, Patrick, alongside special guest from Pucks with a Feather, John Maxfield. John, say hello. Hello. So it's us on the show tonight. Thanks for subbing, man. I mean, my usual co-host tonight just don't feel like doing much lately, so <laughs> I just got to
1: run everything now. Uh, that- Definitely something that uh, can't be expected every night, but I'm happy to be here and talk some Ducks hockey with you. Yeah, no,
2: I appreciate it. And you're back east; you're a, a one of those East Coaster Ducks fans like Eddie. So it's a bit late for you. Um, <laughs> what? What? Just like give your overall feeling right now about Anaheim because this team. I don't know if you were part of embrace the tank like me. I'm a big, big, big like cheerleader for that. But lately. Uh, like I went to a game against Nashville and it was so hard for me to root against my team, even though I know that's it's probably better that they lose. How, how do you feel about that situation? now, now that they're kind of back in games with under Bob Murray.
1: Um, it's a good question. I'm definitely right on that uh, ride the tank bandwagon right there with you. But like you said, as the games have been going on since Murray took over, it's definitely a lot more competitive and it's a lot more fun to watch whether they're winning or losing. Um, the, big difference here is i'm okay with them losing now but they're playing better so if they lose a game here and there it's not a huge deal and we're seeing bright spots from the team which is something we didn't see the first half of the season outside of john gibson
2: yeah it's almost like if they were losing and it w- and it was just embarrassing night after night you're just like F it, i don't care anymore it doesn't matter let's just get through these last 15 20 games and just call it a season let's get our high draft pick and start talking summer training camp new coach but now they injected youth into the lineup. It's like a total game changer. Like you saw again tonight, Jones just creates no matter what line he's on. It's exciting, and I just can't wish that guy to lose. I think it's I think it's what it is. It's these kids that come up that try so hard. We haven't seen all year. It makes it really difficult for me to push back against uh, you know the idea of of losing constantly on purpose.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, when you look at the Ducks in the first half of the season, it looked like they just lost their confidence and they didn't really seem to care. I know they did care. I mean, nobody goes out there and wants to lose. But you look at these Ducks teams now and you see Max Jones, Troy Terry, those guys out there, you can tell with every stride that they take, they're giving it every bit of heart that they have and they do not want to
2: lose. No, not at all, especially these young kids. They're so used to winning in San Diego. It's like they get called up to Anaheim. They're like, what the hell is going on up here? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's nice that he's uh, that Murray's kind of sprinkling them throughout the lineup, trying to get some of that attitude going for every line as opposed to kind of sitting on his laurels with the Getzloff-Perry-Raquel line and, you know, kind of beating that horse to death. It's You know what, though? I, got, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, we all know
2: the Ducks won this game 3-2. to two. We're definitely going to get into the goals and some of the big plays. But it's been interesting. The broadcast mentioned it, and I've noticed it the past several games, as I'm sure you have and others. This has been a four-line team. This is something what we haven't seen under the Carlisle regime. Under Bob Murray, it's just been, hey, everyone's going to get pretty much equal playing time for the most part. And it's, I don't know if I love it, but I don't know if, if I hate it. I don't, I don't know. I'm kind of like lukewarm on the whole idea because I feel like there's some guys that are just playing better than others. Others. What's your What's your take on that?
1: Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, when you look at the Ducks, it seems like every line has somebody who's driving the play, and then they have at least, you know, one or two that are just kind of, they're along for the ride. Like the Max Jones line, for instance, Max Jones is the one driving that play entirely. Even though he's only 21, he's the one driving it, and the Rowney and the Grant just kind of Sit along for the ride, and that's just the way that they've done it for the since Murray took over. They're putting the one guy to lead the line, and then the other guys are just kind of there.
2: Yeah, it uh, looking at the at the time on ice tonight, I'm looking at the forward lines. You guys, anyone listening, could join along if you're on your computer. Go to Natural Stat Trick and look up the game today. And it's like you look at the forward lines, and it like whole like just as a whole, the whole team just basically. No one played more than Corey Perry, Adam Henrique, and Troy Terry. And then second was Max Jones, Derek Grant, Carter Rowney. They played 12 minutes, 11 minutes. Strange to see Getzloff's line with Silverberg and Raquel, which was, I know that's not the usual line mates, but they ended up being paired together quite a bit. Everyone else was like half that. So we saw a little bit more of what uh, what we were used to, where they were kind of just throwing lines out there to match up. But interesting to see the Perry, Henrique, and Terry line get the most ice time tonight, especially because... Corey Perry hasn't been I don't know he hasn't been that big of a standout although he's come on as as of late
1: yeah exactly I mean Perry's doing what he can he's not the Perry that we're used to know but he's kind of fitting into the role that he's needed so it's kind of like when uh, Kessler went down to the fourth line he kind of knows that he's not the guy who you know stirs the drink anymore but he's he's a good ingredient to the drink
2: no he, he definitely is and I Maybe part of the stuff that I'm talking about with Ryan Getzloff is the fact that he went to the box a couple of times tonight, too. One of them on a total bonehead uh, tripping call, which I laughed out loud at in my living room where... He gets tripped, and then, and, and then in turn trips the player who tripped him, and they both go to the box. That's easy the first time I've ever seen that.
1: I, I was going <laughs> to say, I've never in my life seen that. I've seen embellishment trips. I've seen you know other things like on sportsman-like trips, I, but I've never seen coincidental tripping calls. That's 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 a new one. Totally was a new one for me.
2: All right, let, we can hop into the game. So pretty much the same lineup. We don't have Ryan Kessler, as he is probably not going to play the rest of the season that we talked about on this show quite a bit uh he's got a with 1001 games his hip is killing him so i mean why not this team's not going to the playoffs no reason to to you know push him back in the lineup and then brendan gooley's still out which i haven't had a chance to talk to you about this but i really liked him in the short sample size we had from brendan gooley i thought he was a great fit alongside fowler he made fowler uh, more, either a better or more comfortable. I don't think we've seen enough of it to, to judge which player is rising or, or pulling the other player along, but it's unfortunate. He's been out. I, I haven't really heard anything
1: about him coming back. Have you? Uh, nothing specific. I think Eric Stevens was the one who said that he's been progressing. He's I think he's day to day at this point is what I've heard, but yeah, I'm right there with you that he's, he's one. I really want to see more of, um, Fowler definitely stepped his game up, and I want to see if it's because of gooly or if it's just because of Fowler getting hot like he does at this time of year. He's playing on the his offside, and, I mean, he's he's looking good. So I want to see more of him with gooly before the season's out. Yeah, kind of surprising that they, that they didn't ever try this Fowler on the offside or on his off
2: wing, whatever you want to call it, uh, earlier, because he's more of an offensively driven player, and it just makes more sense to have your stick towards the middle of the ice.
1: Yeah, they – I. The reasoning I heard from it was he the, he tried that early on in his career and he just could not get a feel for the ice. His vision was not where it needed to be. So that's part of the reasoning, I guess. Um, but yeah, whenever he's been floundering this part of the season, you think that you would try anything, and it's weird that it took Carlisle being canned to make it happen. That's that's the weird part. It's like your team is starving for offense, and the
2: one move that is a, I guess it's kind of a a, a big move, especially for the defenseman who's not used to playing on that side, but it's not like you're swapping a player up, but the fact that Carlisle wouldn't even attempt that is kind of hilarious, and it just kind of just shows why he's a dinosaur that's now extinct.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, Carlisle's idea of making changes is putting, the, you know, switching the lines up, but still playing them the same amount with each other, it's... He, His changes were non-existent. No matter what anyone else wants to say during the game, he did not make changes. Well, he didn't care about that. It's just whatever Carlisle wanted to do, Carlisle did. (laughs) For sure. Exactly.
2: All right, so the first period, we get a goal nice and early in this, and it would come off of a power play, which I don't know if anyone's been watching Anaheim, but uh, that's a new thing now in, in, in Honda Center is to score power play goals because it just doesn't happen that often. This was Jones drives the net and draws the call, which is something we've seen from Jones a number of times this season. Great power move by him, gets tripped up, and then we go to the power play, Getzloff with the point shot, doesn't make it all the way through, and Nick Ritchie was very sure to point to the <laughs> linesman and referee that it bounced off his shin guard before Shore buried it uh, with the goaltender out of position, and all of a sudden make it one nothing for Anaheim.
1: Yeah, Richie uh, definitely wanted to point that out. I think he had the second least amount of time as far as forwards go, so got to make it count. But yeah, Jones, his play there driving that net, it really reminded me of that play that uh, Bobby Ryan did back in the Nashville series in 2014, I want to say, where he just kind of dipsy doodled around the defenseman and he actually netted it, but Jones still drew the penalty and then the uh, Getzloff getting a point shot through and then, you know, Richie getting the rebound off towards Shore, and Shore just kind of getting a gimme goal. Yeah, but, I mean, you got to take him at that point, right? And it's it's funny you bring up the, the Bobby
2: Ryan goal there, because that's, like, one of his two famous goals. So, like, which one do you prefer? Do you prefer when he had Nico Koivu's stick and scored off his offhand? Or do you like the one
1: where he split the D in the playoffs and roofed it back? Oh, shot? that is that's really tough to say the, <laughs> the playoffs kind of adds to the other one but his reaction whenever he's just like holding the stick out like look this isn't even mine but i buried it that that's probably the most iconic moment as far as bobby ryan goes for me
2: oh i think so too i was going to say i would agree with you on that because at least that goal against the wild resulted in something positive like the ducks won that game <laughs> if i remember whereas that nashville series was a complete letdown yep exactly it's like I don't care how many fancy moves you're gonna you're gonna do to split the defenseman <laughs> and go between the skates. Like, man, the, the best play was when you shoved that stick right back in Koyevu's face because he's totally stripped that stick out of out of Ryan's hands, and then so Ryan just grabbed his. That was one of the weirdest plays I've ever seen. I wish we were doing a podcast back then about it because that was awesome.
1: Yeah, definitely. That was. That's still one of my favorite moments as a Ducks fan, just watching that happen. It was just, I remember watching it, and I'm like, how? How did he make that happen? It's not even the right side stick. He's using the wrong-handed stick, and he still makes it look easy.
2: Oh, it was so good. And like you said, when he held it up for everyone to see, it was just beautiful. I miss Bobby. (laughs) Uh, we got to move on here. We're talking about Fowler and how his improved play has kind of affected this team. But how about that sweet, horrid pass right to Troy Brower on the doorstep? What? It was like a total brain fart by Cam Fowler here. He was just got lax days I feel like, and thought he either A, had more time, or B, just out of, like, pure... This is what I do. I pass the puck back to my defenseman after he passes it to me. Goes to feed it back to Larson. Larson is, uh, I don't know, 30 feet away, and Troy Brower intercepts the pass, to his surprise, on the doorstep, but Gibson makes the stop. Terrible play, but Gibby saves the day.
1: Yeah, that... I tried looking for you know a good two minutes to try to find any sort of reasoning for that or any excuse I could give Fowler I am I'm drawing a blank I watched that play and if you're watching it on a tv um Larson's not even on the screen he's nowhere near (laughs) Fowler I could not see him but I mean Troy Brower is not a small guy I don't know how he didn't see him there he there was no pressure on it he had all day and he made literally the worst play he could have made
2: like, it, it's, they always say never throw the puck through the middle of the ice. We saw Nick Ritchie do it and give Vinny Henestrosa a hat-trick goal yep. when the Ducks were playing the ass, And then we see a play like this, and you're just like, oh, boy. Like, it, it, it was just by the grace of St. Patty's Day, the luck of the Irish has stepped in for John Gibson and solved that there because there was no business of his to be able to stop that puck because that should have been an easy tap-in for Troy Brower
1: especially considering that was the first real pressure that Gibson had. Usually that's the type of goal that you'll see happen because Gibson's not into the game yet. But uh, seeing him make that save kind of sh- set the tone for the rest of the evening that he was going to be on his game. It's like, hey, welcome back,
2: man. Like You haven't had a, a crazy game in a while. Let's just give you this one out of the blue. So, I'm, I don't know about you, I have been a big person against... Corey Perry in his comeback. Like, I just felt like he wasn't going to be the same guy. Uh, Since he's come back to the team, he's really put himself in position to score. And I want to say he just hasn't had the puck luck, which is, I know that people hate that term. and Because if you're good, you know, good things just happen because you're in the right spot at the right time and you're shooting the puck. But you see guys like Max Jones, he's good, he's in the right spot at the right time. But my God, John, in this first period, Corey Perry looked like his old self but just couldn't bury the puck.
1: Yeah. Perry's looked good since coming back. I mean, like I said earlier, he's not the same 50 goal scorer that he once was, but he doesn't have to be. I mean, he's, he's older. He's playing a more mature game. He's not the one who has to make every play to generate offense and putting him with someone like a Troy Terry who can kind of supplement what he does well, it's it's a beautiful thing, and it's nice to see Perry back. I was with you, I was very worried whenever I heard about the extent of his injury. I think on my Twitter, I mentioned that um, it reminded me a lot of what we, were, what we saw with Danny Heatley. I was very worried that Perry would come back and be a shell of himself and just not be able to skate in general, but it's good to see that he's bucking that trend.
2: I kind of want to get... The new third jersey and put Heater's name on the back. I think that would be a really good thing. (laughs) I I I, it's like I don't think many people remember he even played for the Ducks.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I he was uh definitely forgettable, but that would be that'd be a good conversation piece to say the least. It'd be fun. So
2: and what I'm talking about here with Perry, Perry does his usual in the corners, deking around people, actually pulls off two good moves, and then later on nearly converts on a Silverberg shot. From the broadcast view, seems like a harmless shot that Montebello was able to have, but it squeaks through the pads and Perry. I mean, at the point of no return, swings at the puck, but Barkov, of course, was there to lift his stick at the moment of truth to deny Perry a goal. Of co- you know, of course, the as the broadcast would later say, like he's always mentioned as the underrated player. But is he really underrated? Like this guy's good; everyone knows it.
1: He's not underrated when it comes to the hardcore fan base, but if you talk to any casual fan, I don't think you'll hear his name. Um, So I understand where they're saying that from. He's absolutely, he's, it's hard for someone that good to be underrated, but it kind of reminds me of Lindholm, where Lindholm, for the last couple of seasons, has probably been a top 10 or 15 defenseman in the entire league, and you never hear his name brought up whenever you know you hear anybody talk about the greats, and I think Barkov kind of gets a similar treatment. I mean, he is my choice for the Selkie this year, and I still think that he's not getting the respect in that term um you're hearing a lot more of you know the, the usual suspects and i think barkov definitely is making a case to be one of the elite guys in the league did they literally just write in the names bergeron
2: um kopitar <laughs> and jonathan Taze, and that was it right they just leave those three in their uh, you know in, in perpetuity yeah there's probably still a couple of write-in votes for dotsuki you never know <laughs> I mean that guy was a monster when he played in the league, but yeah, there probably are, is a few of the writers that are still around that are, just have his name permanently inked on all their ballots. So uh, let's let's talk about the end of the first period here just for a second. This could have easily been out of hand in the Ducks' favor. Perry, Jones, Raquel. If not for posts, if not for Montenbolt, then we're talking about a game that's probably not you know not a one nothing lead, but maybe a two or three nothing lead going into the second period.
1: Yeah, definitely. The Ducks had a lot of pressure on. Um, They didn't necessarily get too many shots on goal, but like you said, a lot of that's to do with the the post, and obviously those don't count. Um, But the Ducks were putting on a ton of pressure, and any time that they didn't hit a post, Montembeault was there to make the save, particularly on the Raquel shot, where it looked like a vintage Gibson save, diving out to make the save. It was quite impressive and disheartening at the same time because I really wanted to see Raquel net that one.
2: Yeah, poor Raquel. He's he's had a tough go this year. He's shooting at like at 6%, which is just unheard of for him. He's usually up in the 12-13% area. So it would have been nice to see him catch one here towards the end of the season for sure. But uh, we leave the first period one nothing Ducks shots, 9-8 to Panthers going into the second period. It would only take 11 seconds here for the Ducks to be victimized on just being caught hanging out in the neutral zone, Manson hanging up leaving Shore back to defend along with Hampus Lindholm, and all of a sudden it's a tic-tac-toe play between Huberto and Dadanoff, and now we got tie a tie game If getting Dadanoff getting his 25th of the season on a nice pass there by Huberto.
1: Yeah, I this thing was a thing of beauty. Um, I cannot say enough good things about the Huberto, Dadanoff and Barkov line. I'm insanely jealous that Florida gets to watch them play every night because they are, they are a treat to watch. And, I mean, Dadunov was one who kind of flies under the radar, but he's – I tweeted it earlier that he is making his shifts count. Every single time he touches the ice, you hear the announcers say his name for one way or another.
2: Yeah, it's – I don't know what, what was going on there with the Ducks, but they just got caught, and there was just no defensive coverage going back, and those three guys are just magic, just magic. It was all started by Sasha Barkoff. But, I mean, if Gideon off man, I, I didn't realize how good this guy was. Obviously, I don't pay a lot of attention to the East Coast. So, when they said it
1: was his 25th goal of the year, I was like, oh, wow, really? Ooh, that, okay. Yeah, that that moment kind of stuck in my uh, in my head, too, because I, I knew he was decent. I knew he was a good player. I know he kind of was a late bloomer. But it was really kind of jarring whenever they said that, and I'm like, Wow, so he'd have more goals than anybody else on the Ducks at this point. So that's that's a real feat for somebody who's 30 years old and not exactly one that you think of as a household name. Is he really 30 years old? He is 30 years old, and he played his first full NHL season last year, putting up 65 points. So he's much, I I don't know much like, but it kind of reminds me of uh,
2: Artemi Panarin. Panarin's like an older guy too, right? He's not like he's like a 19, 20 year old coming into the league. I know he played with the Blackhawks first, but I was in the same way. I was shocked by his, by his age too. I didn't realize that he was an older player.
1: Yeah, that was kind of a strange situation considering he still was eligible for the Calder. I don't know the rules on that specifically. I think he was <laughs> a little younger. I want to say he was like 25. But yeah, that is it's it's weird the way that we're seeing the league now where players are coming over at older ages and contributing.
2: Yeah, Panarin's 27, it'll be 28 next season. He's even younger than Dadonov. I'm shocked. I didn't know he was 30. I didn't know Dadonov was 30. That's incredible that he's, that he's just showing up with the league now. But I mean... To put up his 25th goal of the year, he's obviously a good player. We've got to move it along here a bit. Ducks will get a power play chance. Fowler walks it, rips it off the post. Henrique misses the opportunity on the rebound. And then you go to the replay. And that's because Matheson got his (laughs) stick in the way, of course. Denying Henrique his 17th goal of the season.
1: Yeah, that was uh, I put blame on Henrique right away. Whenever I saw that, I'm like, you have to score <laughs> on that. And then I saw the replay, and I'm like, okay, there's Florida's Josh Manson always doing the things you don't see. And when you look at the replay, you're like, okay, well that makes sense.
2: Yeah, Matheson was in the it's kind of like the right place, right time guy, right? You know, and especially in that situation. Um, moving on, Dad and Off will take a dive. I didn't like that. I thought he should have got a, a you know an abelishment, embellishment penalty yeah. there for sure. Gets to the box. Gets out of the box, and that's why I talked about the penalty there, is because Getzloff comes out of the penalty box, feeds it off the wall. Perfect bank pass to Adam Henrique, who makes up for the fact that Matheson blocked the shot. Toe <laughs> drags around Aaron Ekblad, and all of a sudden it's 2 1 Anaheim as he buries it. Beautiful play there. Nice pass by Getzloff, but great finish there by Henrique.
1: Yeah, that was kind of a, a relief to see Henrik do that because a lot of his goals have been grittier this season. You're not seeing the beautiful plays, and this one was nice. He was split the defense, two defensemen right there, and he still managed to get a toe drag off, and he roofed it right over the glove side. It looked like uh, kind of where they were projected to go. I mean, they shot a lot at that glove side. I don't know if they saw something in film or whatnot. but uh,
2: I'm not sure either, but, I mean, I- I've never seen that goaltender
1: in that. Not that I watch a ton of Panthers games, but it was the
2: first time I've heard of him.
1: Yeah, I think he's played six games, I think Broadcast said. Uh, He's definitely kind of out of left field. Um, I think they kind of had a necessity with, uh, I think, both Reimer and Luongo were hurt, if I remember correctly.
2: Yeah, and you mentioned Adam Henrique scoring more of those gritty goals, not more of the flashy stuff. I mean, everyone wants to see the old... uh, let me flip it over the guy I was traded for <laughs> and then burn his goaltender on the other end of the ice. But, I mean, that it's, it's been tougher for everyone on Anaheim this year. And it's interesting to see that Henrique has still been able to find a home for himself on this team and still produce at a high level. I mean, he's second of the team in points. He's able to get his 17th goal of the season. He's, he has a chance to hit 20 this year again. And I know he's got that big contract which I wasn't a massive fan of really. I feel like he was a little old for that term, but uh, honestly playing for his worth and he's a second you know I guess he's a higher end third, lower end second center is what I would say. That's just my personal opinion on him. but I feel like he's he's still producing at a good enough level to be on this team, uh, you know especially uh, with what he's been able to produce on under Randy Carlisle.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's my thoughts on it too. When we traded for him, that was kind of my assumption was he'd be a second-line center in necessity whenever Kessler was out and more of a third-line center in an everyday role. Um, But yeah, it's something where he's kind of filled the hole that was needed and kind of playing the role that we need him to play as opposed to kind of putting him in a position where he's going to fail. Um, It's really going to depend what Murray does in the offseason to see how I feel about the uh, the Henrik and Silverberg deals. Um, If we can shed Kessler or something like that, then I'm perfectly okay with both of them. If not, then it's going to be kind of a hard pill to swallow to have both of them signed for so long at such a high cap hit.
2: Yeah, that was the toughie for me. I I don't want to. Everyone who listens to the show has probably heard me say it so many damn times. But the the truth of the matter is, I never disliked either player. It's the fact that we're keeping both that causes the problem at that cap hit. Like exactly. I'm not trying to say gets or not gets off that. Silverberg doesn't deserve his contract and the money he's getting paid. We're seeing him produce, and then you look at Henrique, you're seeing him produce as well. But to put I mean, what, over $10 million, almost $11 million, maybe it is $11 million actually, a year between those two guys? That's a tough call when you have $20 million plus tied up in three aging players in Kessler, Perry, and Getzloff. So that's where the situation came to me.
1: Yeah, I think that that's definitely the case where uh, we're kind of shell-shocked because we're signing these two, Henrik and Silverberg, Kind, I think if I'm, memory serves, I think we're signing them at the same age that we signed the, the Getzloff and the Perry contracts. And in all honesty, without any bias, neither of them are remotely close to the caliber of player that Getzloff and Perry are. So signing them into their mid-30s is kind of a kind of a hard pill to swallow oh
2: how dare you say
1: they're not to that caliber are you kidding me <laughs> anaheim produces gold everywhere
2: that's what some people think they just think that like these guys are easily replaceable it's like you, you gotta understand peak ryan getzloff is insanity to think that you could just bring a guy into the lineup and have him be him yeah, it's, it's just sense. it's insane to think that even Corey perry uh, Corey perry and Corey perry's prime not only was he a pest everyone thinks of him that and he's the grinder. He's the guy who gets the dirty goals. But that guy's a 40-goal scorer, 30-40-goal score. Uh, he won the hard trophy. Like, these guys are no joke. So just to be able to replace them with guys uh, that are, are not at that level and we know aren't going to be at that level, it's it's a tough pill to swallow, like you said.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, ahead. that's kind of one thing that Ducks fans need to realize is we've been spoiled for so long between Korea, then Solani, then Getzloff, then Perry. We've never really had a drought where we didn't have somebody you look at the teams that don't have that and you'll kind of appreciate these guys a lot more exactly and
2: replacing a number one center is incredibly difficult to do unless you draft you know somebody at the top it's just yep. so hard to do uh, let's move this along here a bit so Henrique is able to convert on that Getzloff pass making it two to one and then we got the little funny I trip you you trip me we, could, we <laughs> both go to the box between Huberto and Getzloff as both you and I said we'd never seen that before Ducks go to the locker room, it's 2-1, to one. shots 27-17 in favor of the Cats. Get into the third period, I don't know what the hell was going on here, John. I was watching this game, and then all of a sudden I look up and it's 2-2. Where the hell did Ekblad go? Because nobody saw him. He's able to sneak in behind the defense on the rush. Huberto finds him with the stick flat on the ice, ready for a redirect. And bang, bang, we got a 2-2 two, uh, game.
1: Yeah, for a second when I'm watching it, I was expecting it to be either Barkov or Dadanov, just because I don't understand why Ekblad was there. But I mean, when everyone might as well take a shot up the ice, because when Huberdeau passes a puck like that, you don't even have to touch it. It just point your stick at the ground and it's going to go in the net. So he definitely did that. I mean, that was definitely Huberto's goal as far as I'm concerned. But that was a that was a weird play just to see Ekblad that deep into the zone for no good reason. It was
2: like everybody expected Huberto to shoot that puck. Like, Lenholm tensed up, put his legs together like a shot was coming. And both he and Manson ignored the fact that Ekblad was standing behind them. It was just, I think it just happened so fast, it just caught them off guard.
1: Yeah, definitely.
2: What a weird play. But either way, it's a 2-2 game. Nothing you can do about that going on here in the third period. The Cats were dominating. At one point they had a fifteen to three shot advantage since since Henrique scored the goal. Oh, I don't know, back in the second period. <laughs> so Anaheim definitely looking like the tired club here tonight.
1: Yeah, it's strange. I mean, the Ducks have had a But I think they've had a couple days off. They played Friday. So, yeah, two days. Um, It's weird. They just seemed to gas out midway through the second. And then from there, it carried on. I mean, the Panthers kind of carried the pace at that point from then on. Ducks were kind of back on their heels. But they were doing the best they could to kind of maintain the lead. But it didn't work, obviously.
2: Right. Yeah, Barkoff with the line domination again. Getting the puck tipped off the post. Troy Terry with a big chance. in The one-timer. Ovechkin slot area or circle area rather, shanked it, I actually off of Corey Perry. I mean, if if Terry gets this on net in any sort of aim or accuracy, all of a sudden now it's a 3-2 game there, but he is unable to do so. Getzloff gets sprung on a breakaway. I don't know where the hell this is coming from, by the way, because Getzloff had a breakaway against Nashville Converted. Like, What is Getzloff doing up in the play catching these passes and being forced to shoot the
1: puck? I don't know, John, it was, it's actually surprising to me that he's caught in these situations. It's good to see. I mean, we all lambast him for not shooting the puck nearly enough. So I don't know whether it's whoever's passing him the pucks, just like, Hey, you're going to have to shoot because no one's following you up the ice. This is all on you, but I'm enjoying seeing it. He's making some good shots. Even this one hit it right off the post, didn't get it in the net, but it's as close as you can get without it.
2: Yeah, no, I was, that was a great play by, by Getzloff on the rush. But then we would finally get the break in the third period. The goal by Jacob Silverberg creates the entire thing on his own, in my opinion. Gets the Russian up the ice. He's able to stick with the puck despite being hounded by multiple Florida defenders. And he's able to battle the puck. It pops back to Raquel. Raquel then, because Silverberg, of course, has a nose for the net now that he's not playing with anybody who is just purely defense. Like Ryan (laughs) Kessler or Andrew Cogliano you know these guys are allowed to be creative and convert he is sitting in the slot and is able to take that Raquel feed and bury it uh it was just a nice play by Jacob Silverberg to to take the lead there three to two
1: yeah definitely Silverberg kind of carried that play dumped it in the zone and uh got it deep in there uh Raquel it was nice to see him play that way he kind of looked like a pit bull all night kind of getting in deep onto those board plays not afraid to get gritty and it it's nice to see a payoff. He gets a really nice pass out to Silverberg and that backhand shot was a thing of beauty. Um definitely what we wanted to see from both of them. So it was it was really good to see both of them rewarded with some points after such a decent game of play.
2: It was the uh, the Swedish connection, right? It was these these guys have been <laughs> just planning this over and over again. Let's just get together and do that. I didn't even see Montebo's stick, but it was like fifteen feet in front of him in the faceoff circle. I guess I, that's probably why he the goal went
1: in. That makes sense, yeah.
2: <laughs> I was like, why is he not using his stick to block the puck? <laughs> oh, he actually doesn't have the, the stick in his hand. So very fortunate to play there. It was actually his own defenseman who knocked it out of his hand. I went back and looked at the replay just now. I was like, where the hell did it go? I'm sitting here talking about the goal. Like, why was that so easy? But <laughs> it was all created, like you said. Silverberg and Raquel able to dig the puck out along the boards. Just, it's so nice to see. I talked about this with Jason on our last show it's really nice to see Jacob Silverberg able to be more offensive in his play. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, I know that he's a two way player and he always will be, but it's, it's a different type of game when you're playing with Ryan Kessler and Andrew Cogliano.
1: Yeah, exactly. You hit the nail on the head. Whenever you spend the line share your time with those two, I mean, Kessler was no slouch offensively when he was younger, but the past couple seasons, it's been rough and Cogliano's it, one of the best penalty killers in the league, one of the better two-way players in the league. But he is a black hole when it comes to offense. So it's really good to see Silverberg get some chances with some guys who can create offense, and he doesn't need to be the complete line driver to make that offensive play happen.
2: So yeah, uh, Brett in our chat would like to, uh, to put the icing on the cake here for Silverberg. You put future 35 goal scorer, Jacob Silverberg. That's a
1: hell of a projection for
2: next season, I, I, I got to say, man. that's That's a high ceiling.
1: That yeah, that's going to be. I'd be over the moon happy for him if he did. That's going to really rely on the people around him continuing to progress. The Daniel Sprongs, the Max Jones, the Troy Terrys. If they continue to play well, it's not out of the realm of possibility. He's got a hell of a shot, and if he can use it more often, then the sky's the limit.
2: Yeah, he's one of those guys who can definitely shoot the puck. Uh, I got a couple of post game notes here that we can talk about. If you have anything you want to you want to pop in here, feel, uh, you know, feel free to do so. Getzloff. I got to talk about him. He, I talked about him last game, too. He played a great game uh, again tonight, and he's just been able to, to convert offensively lately. I, I don't know what it was previously. I guess you could just go back to the uh, the old chalkboard and look at that Randy Carlisle coached more than half this season, and then, of course, Getzloff had an injury issue, too, so they kind of put him back on uh, on on um, on the shelf for a bit, unable to produce. But Ryan Getzloff's really been able to turn his game on lately.
1: Yeah, exactly. Getzloff's been playing, he looks like old Getzloff, and a lot of it's to do with the people around him are playing a lot better. Um, Earlier on in the season, nobody could put the puck in the net whatsoever, so as a playmaker, that really kind of hinders your ability to... You know, contribute, but now that there's more guys able to create offense and get in front of the net, get some clean shots off, it's really opening up some open ice for him, making it easier to get those shots through, and it's it's really nice to see him put some points up here towards the end of the season. How do you feel about him long term? And we've we've all talked about Corey Perry,
2: what his long term looks like. He's not going anywhere. He's probably going to finish his career as a duck. I can't imagine that Sam Willie's being okay with buying out Corey Perry after paying him all that money and then having to continue to pay that guy after he leaves. Ryan Kessler's a different situation. He does make a good chunk of change, still less. But um, I don't know. The type of warrior Kessler is, again, I think the buyout option is probably not going to happen. But when it comes to Ryan Getzloff, I just feel like he hasn't fallen off. Like There's no conversation that can be had right now with any sane person to say that Ryan Getzloff's not an effective player.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even when you look at Perry, he's an effective player for what he is, He's, but he's not like Getzloff, where Getzloff can create offense without scoring goals. Perry doesn't do that. But Getzloff, more so, you're seeing a lot of him being able to make those plays, and long term, I think it's going to be something where we might see a Joe Thornton effect, where he's not going to be we're not going to sign him to a four or five year deal after his contract expires but we might see him year to year let him play it out as much as he wants to he's earned every contract no matter what he wants he's he deserves it after what he's given us um i would not be opposed to seeing him kind of take the route that joe thornton takes in san jose where he waits until the end of the free agent frenzy and then just kind of like hey this is what we got for cap space left how about you just give that to me Right, I mean, yeah,
2: he's not going to get something crazy, but why not? He's given his entire career to this team. Um, he's done what he can with the, you know, what was provided to him with this with this lineup. And even Bob Murray said it back when I had you know breakfast with Bob, Jay, and I were there with the season ticket holders. We were kind enough to be invited here by some Patreon listeners. And even Bobby said it. He was just like, "I thought we were going to win. I thought we were going to win the year we went to the, to uh, the conference final against the Blackhawks. Like that was the Ducks' year." They lose it in Game 7, but that was probably the last chance, probably because I don't know how this summer's going to turn out, and if things could change, I get it, and Getzloff could be here for a bit. But that was the year that Getzloff, Perry, and Kessler could have put their name and stamped it on a Stanley Cup, and then there was that legacy. And then you're not even questioning what they're making at this point, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, you see the players like the, the ones in the the Andrzej Kopitars, the Jonathan Taves. They might not put up the gaudy numbers that they are capable of putting up, but they've got their name on the Stanley Cup multiple times, so their fans give them a pass, and it's completely understandable to do so. The the season where they played the blackhawks i mean everybody thought that the ducks if that got to seven games that was the duck series to win i mean every post game or every intermission you'd hear the analysts say no team can put up with the physicality that the ducks are doing in a seven game series so it was you don't see it too often where the ducks are the media's kind of wonder boys but that was that season and it's kind of a shame that it didn't get finished
2: I was at that Game 7, as I said before. That was the most crushing, -crushing (laughs) soul-crushing game I've ever been at in my entire life. That was the worst game I've been to, period. That was brutal. Brutal showing. I spent way too much money in beer. Had way too many Hawks fans around me yelling all kinds of obscenities at us. Brutal. So, (laughs) I hope that the next Game 7 we're in, it's one that we win, and I'll gladly be there or on my couch. I don't care. Um, we got to talk about Jacob Silverberg. We just we just said here. Brett in our chat had said thirty five f- for the future goal score for Jacob Silverberg. Do you really think that that's a possibility? I I know that you said it depends a lot of the young guys, but that's kind of more indicative as to his his ability to be a leader in this team as well and get those minutes. Um, he's going to have to. They're going to have to increase his usage and, and put him around the right people. Like you said, he he can't be doing this. You know, I'm playing with this guy one night, this guy another night, and going up and down the lineup. They're really going to have to find a good mix. And I think that's all going to come around
1: uh, to a good point here in the summer when they find the proper coach. Yeah, exactly. Um, Silverberg, I don't. I, like I said, I wouldn't put any money on him being anywhere close to 35. I'd say probably 30 would be the high end of what I'd be comfortable predicting. Um, but, I mean, this season he's still putting up 20. He'll probably finish. I My prediction is probably around 25 this season. And in a team that's this bad offensively that's spent much of the year considered one of the worst all-time goal-scoring teams it's it's encouraging to see him do that um I I don't think he's going to put up 35 next year unless all the stars align but I'm I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna dog that prediction it could very well happen yeah so tonight he played a little bit I mean he's he, he always played with Ricard Raquel on the other
2: wing but his center was Ryan Getzloff for six minutes and change and then Devin Shore for almost eight minutes so next season we're all pretty much figuring that it's gonna be a Dallas Eakins club and he's got all these young kids that he knows really well. It's gonna be probably offensively driven, I would assume. I can't imagine it's gonna be the same defense angry person you know behind the bench that uh, Randy Carlisle was who gave no leash to anybody. like you you didn't get any room or rope. Um, it was just very much, you made a mistake, you're benched. I mean, ask Daniel Sprung. It, yeah, exactly. It, it's going to be a different team next season.
1: Yeah, it's it's going to be... it's It has to be a different team. I think that's the best way to put it, is it has to be. Um, we've seen it before where... Whenever you kind of lose faith in that coach, if you bring in the same kind of voice, you're not going to get any success. You're going to kind of pin yourself in a hole that's not able to get out of. Last time, it was Carlisle and You brought in Boudreaux, who's a known players coach. This time, I think Eakins is the front runner for the job, and he's very well known for treating his players extremely well. I've never heard a player say a bad word about him. Um, And I think that that could be something that's going to be uh, interesting to see how the players react towards that. Um, He doesn't seem to be the same type as far as Boudreaux, where Boudreaux kind of played his players to a fault, whereas Eakins doesn't seem afraid to kind of speak to his players and let them know what they did wrong. But he's not doing it in a malicious way or a way that it's kind of putting them in a doghouse.
2: It's the obvious move to bring in Dallas Eakins. It's the safe move. It's whatever you want to say along the lines of nothing that's going to be exciting anybody too much. Like, people don't know who he is. The casual fan certainly doesn't know who he is if you don't watch the goals or know of him, uh, of his time with Edmonton, which was really unfortunate for him, as he got handed literally a dumpster fire and had to deal with it there. Um, the, the goal situation is much better. Like you said, no one says a bad word about this guy. He's a great guy. He's a great players coach. It's the exact opposite of Randy Carlisle. But what's funny is it, it would be a weird Bob Murray move to do that because Bobby likes to bring in um, you know guys like Randy Carlisle so much so that he brought him back after he had a horrible tenure with the Toronto Maple Leafs and brought him in. So. I'm looking forward to that face of Dallas Eakins behind the bench. If it's not Ricard Gronberg, I'm very happy to have it back there because it'll be a breath of fresh air here in Anaheim for sure.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm not completely sold on Dallas Eakins being an elite coach. Just, I mean, if you look at his numbers specifically, he's never really elevated a team beyond kind of what they are. Whereas Boudreaux, I mean, you see him, if you look at the teams before he – takes them over and after he takes them over usually they're a lot better when he's coaching that's not nothing against Eakins specifically Boudreau is a very well-renowned coach Um, but I'm interested to see if Eakins can take the next step Um, and if he can and he's an effective coach it's going to be a lot of fun I definitely wouldn't be opposed to seeing somebody like Gronberg brought in as an assistant just in case Eakins doesn't pan out long term at least you have the successor in line
2: yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing that at all either. I wouldn't mind seeing Gromberg take the head coaching position, to be honest with you. Uh, it would be kind of cool to see Gromberg go to the goals if they do promote Dallas. Because there is some way to get him in the system, um, I think he would be very effective as a coach. And I know he's looking... He, when we talked to him earlier this year, he said he's looking for a job anywhere in the NHL in North America. He would, he would gladly do it. But, I mean, obviously the end goal is the NHL. But this is such a recycle-the-coach league. Like They always hire the old guy who gets fired. It, it, they never bring in the fresh face um, for the most part. I mean, there's certain instances where they do, um, but for the most part, it's not that. Like, you know, Detroit brings, it, brings in a, a no-name guy who has to make a name for himself. I think Philly did the same thing with Hackstall, But uh, it's just generally they recycle guys. You know, they don't they don't bring in the new fresh blood.
1: Yeah, that's definitely the case where it seems like if you've got any experience, be it good experience, bad experience, it's still experience and they'd prefer that. Um, I think what we're seeing is somewhat of a changing of the guard in that regard. Um, I can't say it's going to last long term, but I mean, you've, you're kind of seeing more people follow in Tampa Bay's footsteps where they brought in uh, John Cooper, who is their AHL coach, and the success he's brought that team has been immeasurable. And we see the same thing with uh, Vancouver, who's taken major steps this season under Travis Green and uh, uh, the Jared Bednar in Colorado, too. There's been a lot of praise for him. I think we're starting to see kind of a phasing out of the old boys club and we're starting to see some fresh faces. So it's really interesting and it's something that I'm kind of keeping my eye on to see how it goes long term. Yeah,
2: I mean like the last thing you want to do for this team is bring in a guy like like Ken Hitchcock. If he was willing to stay in the oh. league, right? you just don't want to see that or I mean you you almost don't even want to see a guy like Joe Quinville coming here. And he never would because it's a rebuild, but you you want to bring in the, the fresh young face, you know, that understands these players and is used to coaching in the new style NHL. That that's the whole goal here in Anaheim, I would hope. Um so let's get on to some questions here, John. We're Got about 15 minutes left of the show. We're going to hit, let's see what we got. We got plenty here tonight. We got to go with Facebook first. Dave Rodriguez says, Cogliano, who, thank you, Devin Shore, kills penalties, plays the power play, scores goals, much better hands, good move by executive vice president,
1: GM, interim head coach, Bob Murray.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Not really a question so much as a statement.
1: Yeah, I'm impressed with what we've seen from Shore, but it's not explicitly something that I didn't expect from him. Um, If you looked at his stats long term, he's somebody who really thrives on the power play. He puts a lot of points up on the power play. Five on five, he's not quite as impressive. He's pretty pedestrian five on five, but as far as what Cogliano brings and what Shore brings, they're kind of the same type of role player where they're not going to move the needle one way or the other, but Shore's somebody who kind of where Cogliano kind of fills the hole of penalty killer Shore fills the role of power play specialist. And that's something that the Ducks have been lacking the last couple of seasons.
2: I mean, yeah, you, you can't have all icing and no cake and you got to have those guys in the middle six, that, uh, which is exactly what he is. And, and he has, not disappointed, but like you said, he's not flashy. He, he serves a purpose, and I think he's played pretty well. Um, Nick Webb says, How do you guys feel about Getzloff and Richie being on the same line together? This season, they've seemed to have great chemistry, but can Richie be a top-line guy? Or have or could we see rather them together on a second or third line together in a few years
1: when Steele and Lundestrom are
2: ready to be number one centers?
1: Uh, I don't specifically see Lundström as a number one center, not to kind of put any downer on that. I think he's more suited for a second or third line role. But as far as the question for Nick Ritchie, um, I, I definitely like to see Getzloff with him because Getzloff has a proven track record of elevating players into kind of goal scoring ability that they don't have otherwise we see it with Matt Bolesky we saw it with Chris Stewart Um, we've seen it time and time again Patrick Eves even kind of stepped up his game with Getzloff Getzloff's a facilitator and putting him out there with somebody like Richie who has quite a few tools in his toolbox it's it's a smart play you're going to get the best out of Richie and you don't necessarily have to give Getzloff the most talent to get the most kind of return for him
2: no, you said it best right there. I mean, Getzloff's the facilitator. He's the guy who creates space for other players. People back off because they're not sure what Getzloff's going to do. They all know that he's probably going to pass, but you kind of can't just assume that. He's got a great shot. He's been shooting more lately. So you put a guy like Nick Ritchie, who has got the tools of – he's not an elite first-line player. Let's just be real there for a minute. But right. he has enough to be able to get to the front of the net and bury a puck. Right? He could shoot the puck. We've seen, we know Nick Ritchie can do that. Uh, And we see that time and time again across the league. I mean, ask Chris Kuditz who made him all his money. I mean, he's going to point to Sidney Crosby. Thanks for the payday, dude. Like, that's just what he's doing. (laughs) There's facilitators in the league, and you have to be able to play with them. It's not discrediting that guy. But you don't have to be a Nikita Kucherov on the top line. You could be a guy who can play well with a facilitator and and make it work. So I would agree with you very much so there with Dick Ritchie. He needs a guy to create space for him and get on the puck. Um, moving on here too. I don't think that Steele or Lundestrom, either of them are first line centers. It would be a shame if that requires them to be that in their career, because I feel like you're not going to get the top production out of them. They're more second, third line guys. And it's still tough to tell where they're at in their development. We haven't seen enough of them, especially Lundstrom. Um, we'll see where he's at in development when he comes over to North America again.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think Lundstrom. He reminds me a lot of Antoine Vermette when he plays. I think he's got a little bit of a higher ceiling than Vermette, but in his prime, Vermette was a very good, responsible player. He wasn't flashy; didn't you know leap off the page, but he's effective, and that's that's kind of what we expect with Lundestrom. I mean, it's not any knock on Lundestrom at all. He was drafted in late first you're not going to get the all-stars every year in the first round um, in the late first. So I don't expect that steel again. He was, he was taken even later um, Steele's an offensive guy, but he's, I, I'm worried about his transition into the NHL. He's not going to be able to keep that production in my opinion that he put in the juniors. Um, that doesn't mean he's not going to be an effective guy, but I think if you're really looking for a number one center for the ducks, the best chance you're going to get is this draft where the ducks are likely going to end up with a, relatively high pick and the first 10 picks are pretty laden with uh centers who very well could project to be top line centers more than anybody in the Ducks system in my opinion
2: 100% agree with you there there's there's really high level players here in the top 10 12 picks in the draft this year so we'll see what bobby and his team are able to do um got to give a shout out here to joseph holmes he says i just became an uncle so congratulations joseph on that and with that, he also asked, which, which jersey should I get? Uh, which jersey should he get his niece? If you were to get a jersey for, uh, for your niece, John, what would you, who would it be?
1: Uh, first of all, congrats, man. That's, it's the best feeling in the world when you can welcome a new family member. Um, as far as getting your niece a jersey, I always feel that you can't go wrong with goalies they're on the ice more than any other player when they do play getting someone like gibson who's an elite player is am i talking definitely... to jason here are you a goalie lover too do you play nets <laughs> i do not i just i, I kind of have the mind of a child when it comes to that i know that my little brother whenever <laughs> i was trying to get him into it he always wanted he had trouble following it so whenever if i said hey look there's getzloff on the ice oh 30 seconds later he's not on the ice anymore at least with you know if i tell him a goalie hey look there he is he's out there for the next 60 minutes keep your eye on him that that's the best way to do it with a kid in my opinion that way they can always kind of uh they they always know where they are and they're never going to be out of position they're always going to be right there in your eyesight so joseph what he's saying is go get a chad johnson jersey clearly (laughs) he's always on the ice
2: no i'm just teasing uh for me i would say you got you got a uh A new niece coming into the world. You got a young kid coming in, so you got to go with the young blood of the Ducks. You got to get a Max Jones jersey. I mean, that's 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 just that's just me. That is a good one. (laughs) All right. So Tom Walsh says, "Good hockey weekend for uh, from the boys. Hard to embrace the tank. Indeed, it is. I hate watching them lose myself. But uh, with that, what position and what guy will the Ducks be looking at in the draft? Who should I keep my eyes open
1: for?" Um, that's a really, really good question, and it's a tough one. It's one that seems to change on the daily. Um, it, obviously, the top two are s- kind of set in stone as far as uh, Caco and Hughes. So that's going to be something where if we win the lottery, we obviously know what we're going to be looking at there. Um, outside of that, the I think we're going to be picking probably somewhere in the 6 to 10 range would be my guess. Um, there's quite a few guys in that range who kind of fill the void that the Ducks are looking to fill. Um, Dylan Cozens, if he falls, he's one to keep an eye on. If we can kind of slide into the top five, he should be available. Uh, Peyton Krebs is another one. He's not necessarily a center proven wise, but he's still a good one. Um, big body guy and a really good attitude or not a big body, but like he plays big, um, Outside of that, I mean, there's some depth guys who seem to be falling a little bit, like uh, Alex Turcott. I think he could be another one that could the Ducks could look at. Um, there's a lot of good prospects this season, and I just keep an eye on the the kind of the right after the the Caco and Hughes because there's a lot of guys there that are impressive. Um, my favorite prospect, again, I've said it probably a hundred times now. You can find it all over my Twitter feed is Cole Caulfield. Um, I don't see him ever being a duck because he's significantly smaller than anybody I think that Bob Murray's ever selected. but he's he's a hell of a player. He plays with Hughes quite a bit and he uh, he puts up a lot of points.
2: For me personally, I've always loved the Power Four. They've been my favorite type of player. I think that they're like the perfect. If you were gonna build a hockey player, that is what you would build, in my opinion. I love the power forward. A guy who can skate, a guy who could fight, a guy who can hit, he can score, he can just beat you anywhere, and he's hes the big guy. Uh, so for me, it would be a power forward like Dylan Cousins would be my favorite for the Ducks to pick, but I don't think they're going to get quite low enough to get, to get that pick. But that would be mine after the two obvious, Kako uh, and uh, Jack Hughes.
1: Yeah, Kirby Doc's another one who fills that role quite well. Um, I can't remember if it was Cozens or Doc who said that they, they followed Getzloff basically as his idol growing up, and they modeled their game around him quite a bit, but it was either Doc or Cozens who said that, and they, uh, they're they they're kind of modeling their game after Getzloff, so it might be a seamless transition if we could manage to get one of those two. Let's do that.
2: Uh, I'll just take what you said right there, and let's <laughs> just make sure that happens, because that sounds exciting for me. Uh, let's go on to another one here. We've got another question. Um, actually, no, it was another uh, little bit of a rant there from good buddy Dave, which, sorry, Dave, I got to skip that. we got a question in chat I want to get to before it disappears. It's from Rebecca. She says, so if you could keep Getzloff or Perry, and you have to keep one and get rid of the other, who do you get rid of? That's interesting. Uh, I don't think you have to do either one, but
1: what would you do? I... Nothing against him, but I'd say you get rid of Perry. You uh, have Getzloff's, is, Getzloff's a center. He has more value inherently. He brings more to the table. He's cheaper on the contract, um, and he has that leadership ability that while Perry is – I don't think there's anyone who said he's a bad leader. He's Getzloff just has that calming presence about him. So you definitely want to keep Getzloff, and you move Perry. He can just take over the game.
2: Ryan Getzloff, yeah. he has that same ability, like you said with Joe Thornton. We've talked about it on the show a number of times. You don't have to be a fast skater if you're Ryan Getzloff. You just got to be able to control the puck. They just don't know what you're going to do with it. He just controls the game. He brings the game. He slows it down for his pace. Um, We got Daniel in Instagram says, is this how you tank? Yeah. (laughs) Kind of a mutual feeling here, but it's still fun. It's still fun.
1: Yeah, I mean, you'd kind of be shooting for the moon if you thought that we'd lose every game i wish we'd lose every game from here on just because but we are playing weaker teams the rest of the season for the most part um i think half of our games are against teams that are in the same position as us um and shooting for higher lottery picks so it's going to be quite interesting to see the rest of the season play out i definitely wouldn't mind seeing us lose more than we win but it's going to be interesting Oh yeah, I know it definitely is. This is not how you tank.
2: Obviously he's he's being sarcastic there, yeah. but it it's tough to want to make this team lose, as we said. Um Brett says, "What makes you want to drink more? Ducks losing when you want them to win or Ducks winning when you want them to uh or Ducks winning when losing would be best?"
1: That one's easy for me. Um <laughs> it's absolutely losing when I want them to win. Yeah, I'm sorry, the other way around, whenever they're winning when I want them to lose. Because when they're losing when I want them to win, I'm more angry <laughs> than I am sad. And I'd rather drink when I'm sad than when I'm angry.
2: Oh, yeah, it just makes me drink faster, I guess is what it is. If, if I want them to win and they're losing, I just end up, like, going through way more beers than normal. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's definitely the case for me. But if I had to pick rather, yeah, I'm with you on that, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> So Ricky says, what happened to Patrick East? Haven't seen him on the goals lineup in a long time. I don't know. I just saw Jake Dochin just made his debut after missing 16 or something games and had two goals tonight for the goals and was able to – they pulled out a win, but or maybe it was
1: last night, but I know he's back and scoring. But Patrick East, I haven't seen him. I haven't heard anything about him being injured or anything. He might be taking the same kind of situation as Kessler in a way. Um, and you're not going to push him to play more than what he needs to. Right now they're in kind of a playoff race trying to make it, but I it, last time I checked they were pretty firmly in a playoff spot. You might be just saving him to play in the playoffs as opposed to playing in the uh, regular season, kind of have him elevate his game in the playoffs and try to you know contribute that way as opposed to getting injured in the regular season. So Dean in our speaker chat chimes in and says, E's issues have flared up
2: again. I haven't seen anything about that, but I appreciate that because if you know something we don't know, it's always awesome to get the intel on. I, I haven't seen anything on Twitter, but i got to say I haven't really been looking on top of that.
1: Yeah, so. once he kind of went to the goals, it was kind of out of sight, out of mind. It would not surprise me if things flare up. It'd be He's kind of like Kessler in that regard where the injuries he has are chronic. They're not so much something that you just, I'm healed, they're gone. So it wouldn't surprise me if that was the case. And if it is, you're probably not going to hear too much about it because it's more serious injury. You're not going to have a definitive timetable.
2: Right. Thanks Dean for chiming in with that one. Uh, Ricky asked us, uh, he has another question here. He says thoughts on the grant Rowney and
1: Jones line. Um, I think that that is a one player line. The other two are firmly fourth line players and Max Jones is somebody trying to make a name for himself. Um, The one thing you can say about Grant and Rowney is they're both fairly responsible. They're not going to drive the play. They're not going to create a bunch of offense, but they're also not going to hurt you. Um, So while they may not help Max Jones get goals or get assists too much, they are not going to leave him out to dry or make his mistakes quantified more. He's going to be able to kind of play easier, knowing that they're there to cover for his mistakes defensively.
2: Yeah, he's the only one noticeable on that line, really. When there's a play driving up, like like Max Jones, when he's dangerous, you don't see someone feeding him the puck. Like you see yeah. Max Jones driving to the net and creating his own space. So nothing against those guys, like you said, they're just they're just your fourth line. That's just what they are. Uh, they're not a multi-skilled, tooled player like Max Jones. So I, I like it in the sense that I'm not worried about that line on the ice because those guys are, like you said, are pretty responsible players, but Max Jones deserves
1: better. I, I hate to say it, he just deserves a better center. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think he'll get his chance next season. Um, right now I think Murray's probably trying to see what he has he has Rowney and he has Grant Rowney signed for two more years uh, Grant's a free agent he might just be feeling the field to see can these guys add more to the team than what we see if they can make Max Jones better if they can add something to his game I don't think they will but it's worth a a shot right now you just kind of plug anything into the lineup and see if you can make some magic happen no, for sure. You have to try to figure out what you
2: have going into the next season. And that's why he's rolling all four lines, probably as equal as possible, too. Um, Adam says, will the Ducks fill the head coach position? And who are the leading candidates for the position? So when will they fill the position, rather? Sorry, I didn't read that
1: part. So when and who are the leading candidates? Um, I, they're not going to fill the position until at least after the AHL playoffs are done. You're not going to kind of put that in Eakin's head. Um, you let him focus on the goals and from there see what happens. If if it is a foregone conclusion that he is the guy, then you'll probably see it happen after they're either eliminated or they win it all. Um, if it is something where you take him at his word that they are exhausting all options and not set on one player or one coach right now, then you could see it kind of go into the summer um, quite a ways, probably... I'd guess that you'd have it set in stone before draft just because you, I, I'd assume you'd want at least some of his input, um, as far as what kind of, what he has in mind and what you're going to bring into the table as far as your new, your new shining toy. No, exactly.
2: And, you know, Bob Murray, it was really, really candid during his breakfast, uh, you know, with my two tiny frozen pancakes they warmed <laughs> up for me and my two donated to charity slices of bacon. Um, I had plenty of time to listen to him talk about, uh, he was not making any moves until you know right after the last game in April. He's not. You're not going to see his hand. He's not going to tell you. Uh, there's no indication as to what's going to be going on. Bob McKenzie said that it was going to be most likely that his Dallas Eakins being the coach coming in as he was the leading candidate, which makes sense. But that's not to say there's not other teams looking around and poking around at Dallas Eakins. It's no mystery to people who know the league. You know, which is most NHL teams—they're scouting. They know they understand what Dallas Eakins brings to the table. They know the success of the goals. They know he's a player's coach. So there is an off chance that he doesn't go to Anaheim. That he goes somewhere else. Now, I don't think that's going to be the case, but it's still an opportunity. Uh, so let's just say that there's other opportunities at the table for the Ducks. There's guys that we already talked about, Ricard Gronberg is available. Uh, Sheldon Keefe, although he's going to remain in the NHL, apparently in his contract, because <laughs> he's <laughs> he's he wants to be a baller, he's just said like, yeah, I'm going to sign a ridiculous deal, with the, be the highest paid coach, but also has it in his contract, where he can go anywhere he wants, if the NHL offers him a deal. So there's other options, but it's probably going to be Dallas Eakins for sure.
1: Yeah, Sheldon Keefe was one that I've talked up quite a bit. He's one that I really, really enjoy watching what he does. He has the numbers to back up that he elevates his players um which is definitely something that you look for in a coach he's i think he's going to be a big time coach wherever he ends up um outside of that you're not really going to be able to, you, the names are going to kind of come out of left field there's gronberg there was another guy in sweden who bob murray was around i guess whenever he was away from the team um i can't remember his name right off hand but he was there um outside of that you're just The usual suspects the you know the ken hitchcock the coach q and the um the i can't remember his name now the old rangers coach who got canned um that's it his name's everywhere and i just can't bring it to the name right now but yeah he's those are the kind of the names that you're going to see brought up none of them are going to end up behind the the bench in anaheim Uh, oh yeah that's Nope. You're gonna see their name.
2: Yeah, the worst one would be like if it was Daryl Sutter. Can you imagine oh. that crap coming to Anaheim? Get out of here with us! <laughs> yeah, I don't want to. I don't want that. <laughs> and then the final question of the night comes from Tyler, uh, Tyler Tennell. Jesus, I'm butchering names tonight. It says Eddie, you are trashed on St. Patty's Day. What is your last shot you take? Eddie is not on the show, so we're gonna let John Maxfield take this <laughs> question. So you're gonna be acting as my crazy Canadian friend and co-host. Uh, what is the last shot you take if you're trash
1: today? I think that it can, it, I don't even it, you can't really consider it a shot, but it would be wrong if your choice was anything but an Irish car bomb. I think that that just makes <laughs> sense. <laughs> That's the perfect one to end your night with, especially when Paddy's days on a Sunday. What are
2: you going to do on Mondays, right? Exactly. <laughs> All right, guys, that's it for us tonight. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Thank you, John, for uh, for stepping in uh, for my lazy co-hosts who are nowhere to be found. It was a welcome addition to the show. Uh, look forward to having you back again at some time for sure. And uh, if you guys haven't already, you know, complained about us not having a forever mighty three star board update, we're very very sorry. I I don't say that out of uh, you know poking fun at you guys. I get it. We're, we're we're racking up the points. It's the end of the season. There's a big chance here for you guys to win. Uh, Eddie controls all that, and he's just not available right now. So we're going to have to wait uh, until midweek or end of the week before we get an update on the three-star leaderboard for CoolHockey.com, their giveaway for our Forever Mighty three-star jersey. Other than that, we got a... A watch party coming up next saturday it's at craftsman pizza starts at seven o'clock i got everything approved they're going to extend the happy hour it normally starts at eight they're starting it at seven o'clock for us for some great deals there will be audio on in the area where we have our tvs we're going to get three tvs a whole section to ourselves gonna be a good time come on out there it's craftsman pizza off imperial la palma in anaheim and what's the next game i think it's wednesday right against the jets that's, oh that's the crazy bobblehead night for ryan gets yep. right john Yes, sir. That's the only reason why I'm going to that game It's so I can get <laughs> one of those. So that's it for us, you guys. Have a great night. We'll talk to you again later.